All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. And I want to share with you today, thank you, Pastor Joe. How many of you love to worship the Lord? Isn't it good? Amen. Let's read uh, these, these few verses, and I'm going to talk to you today about uh, defining moments once again. I'm titling this, Who's the Boss? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Who's the Boss? Now, I hope that we can answer that today by the time I'm done, at least, as the Lord Jesus, He's the Boss. But we're going to talk about the defining moment of when you really have to make that decision. Now, look at this uh, passage. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now there's Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And then it says that Jesus said to them, just came walking up and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately, how quickly everybody? Immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, we're going to jump from that passage to another one. Just keep these are two separate incidents. Jesus telling them, follow me. Now we're going to John's gospel, chapter 6, verse 61. And here's another defining moment. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Do my words offend you? And the words that I have spoken to you, said Jesus, they are spirit and they are life. They may offend you. But they're spirit and they are life. From this time, many of his disciples turned away and they no longer followed him because of what he had said. Now look what happened. He turned to his disciples and said, you don't don't want to leave also, do you? And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Father, we thank you for defining moments, and we pray that today you will help us, Lord, to understand why they come and what God is speaking to us in the middle of them. Lord, I believe that you're a God of defining moments, and I thank you for bringing defining moments that are supernatural to everyone in this place today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me just uh, talk about this now. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about defining moments. You've probably heard that phrase, but you know, the Bible is full of people who had defining moments with God. Now, remember what a defining moment is. Let me define a defining moment. A defining moment is a monumental experience or a decision, one of the two, that changes the direction of your life. It's an experience or a decision that is monumental. And it changes the direction of your life. You're never the same after that. After a defining moment, you are defined. Hence the phrase, defining moment. Defining moments represent choices with a 5, 10, or 20-year horizon. When you make that decision, it's got long-term consequences, long-term repercussions and ramifications. It may even last a lifetime when you make that defining moment decision. I believe any time you make a decision for Jesus Christ, it's a lifelong defining moment. It's an eternal defining moment. Now listen carefully. A defining moment may come as a result of good or bad decisions. On your part, on my part, 
or good or bad decisions on the part of someone else whose life affects yours. I have a little saying, if the enemy can't defeat you, he'll defeat somebody whose defeat defeats you. We are all interlinked and interlocked. It's amazing to me how it's such a small, connected world when you get really right down to it. Here's David Hatley and I today. We've known each other over 30 years. It just keeps on happening. We keep on encountering each other. Even when it's snowing outside, right, David? Now, a defining moment may come by way of an accident. Something beyond our control or the control of anybody else happens, and we have a defining moment. It's an accident. Something happens, and it defines us. It affects us. It defines our life for years to come. Now, whatever the reason a defining moment comes, rest assured, not one thing happens in the life of a child of God without God's knowledge. Not one thing. There is nothing that comes your way that does not move through the sifting hands of God. If you don't believe that, read the book of Job or look at the life of Simon Peter. Jesus looked right at him and said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have not prayed that that won't happen. But I prayed, Simon that when you go through the trial, your faith will not fail. But God will see you through the trial, and when you have returned to me, you will be a strength to other people. Notice, Jesus didn't keep him from the trial. He kept him in the trial. He didn't turn the trial away from him. He helped him to walk through it successfully to the other side. But notice, not one thing happened in the life of Simon Peter that Jesus didn't know about. I don't believe in accidents in the life of a child of God. Something may look like one, but it's not. Now, in the first passage we just read, we see the defining moment encounter the disciples had with Jesus when they were first approached by him. Think about this. I've often wondered what Jesus must have looked like, how he must have come over. We know that he was not good looking because Isaiah tells us there was no beauty about him that we would desire him in the natural. But there was an appeal to Jesus. It was his words. It was the purity of his spirit. There was something about Jesus that appealed. Out of the blue, Simon Peter and the rest of them just having a normal, everyday, workaday world. And that's when God usually chooses to approach us. Just in the everyday, everyday of life, all of a sudden, there stands this man, Jesus. He is compelling, he is mysterious. He is magnetic. He is commanding. He suddenly walks up to them and with no fanfare and no forewarning, he says to these men who had been there for all of their life, follow me, follow me, and I will make you to become something that you would never have been without me. You've been catching fish, but I'm going to grace you to catch men. And suddenly this compelling figure demands of them to leave everything they've known, everything they've been familiar with, and follow him they knew not where. It was a defining moment. It would prove to be the number one defining moment of their life to stay where they were. Here's what that would have meant. It would have meant safety, security, predictability, and normalcy. But to follow this man to follow Jesus, to walk with him, to follow him wherever he went. 
appeal to something primal in them, something deep down. It spoke to their deepest destiny, the reason for which they had been born. You know, let me tell you something. You have been born to walk with God. You have been born to be called by God, to follow Him. And you have been called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you do, Jesus is able to reach into your innermost, innermost, and, and fulfill you and appeal to you and take you into levels in your life you would never have known without Him. This defining moment when He said, follow me, raised, I believe, the number one question of life. Here it is. Who will be the boss of you? Who will be the boss? Who's the boss? Because Jesus requires submission to lordship. If you're going to follow Jesus, as we're going to see in a moment, you can't be the boss. The days of you being the boss man are over. Or the boss woman. Jesus said, follow me. And here's what they had to decide. Will you submit yourself to the leadership, the lordship, and the summons of Jesus Christ? Or will you live for yourself? Most of the people out there in that culture right now live for themselves. Their Godhead is me, myself, and I. Not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Our culture teaches us that it's all about you. It's all about me. But guess what? It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the purposes of God. It's all about the destiny that He has spelled out for you and I before He formed the world's. Now keep that little illustration in mind, that those passages we just read, because the rest of their lives turned on the hinge of how they answered the question, who's going to be the boss? Are you going to follow me, or are you going to follow yourself, Simon Peter? Are you going to go where you want to go, or are you going to go where I want you to go? Are you going to do, Simon Peter, what you want to do, or are you going to do what I have called you to do? Who's going to be the boss? Where's your life going to take you where you want it to go or where I want it to go? Now, the second passage places the disciples in another defining moment that raised a second question that I believe is right there with the first one. Who's the boss? And here's the second one. Who will be your teacher? Jesus has just told a large crowd that were following him some things that were very difficult for them to get a hold of. They were so difficult that they stumbled and they were offended over what he had said. You know, the things that Jesus said were not always easy to hear. Pick up your cross daily, follow me, crucify yourself, don't live for yourself, live for me, put me first, don't put yourself first, forgive those that offend you, don't walk around holding grudges. There were all kinds of things he said that are very difficult for us to do. And these folks, as a matter of fact, it was a crowd of 5,000 and 4,988 of them walked away. That's what you call a bad sermon day. If I got up here and preached and all of you but 12 of you walked out, I'd go pray about what I'm doing. But 4,988 of the 5,000 leaving only the 12 standing there, the majority of them had stumbled over his statements. And Jesus then turned to the 12 and said, are you also going to leave? Are you also going to leave? Now, you know what he was really asking? Listen carefully to me now. Here's what he was asking. Who is going to be your teacher? Who's your teacher? Is this world going to teach you? Is the culture going to teach you? Is someone else going to teach you? 
or disciples of mine, are you going to let me teach you? They left over what I said. Are you going to leave over what I say? Who's going to be your teacher? Now, I, I'm so tempted to go into that one today, but I'm going to wait till next week. I want to spend a whole Sunday on that one. Who's your teacher? Because you're being taught by somebody right now today. Somebody is your teacher. I guarantee you somebody is your teacher. Somebody is your teacher about all the major issues of life. And so they said, Lord, where else shall we go? It was a defining moment. You are our teacher. Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words that lead to eternal life. So you, Lord, are our teacher. And I believe that every one of us will have that defining moment where we must decide who's going to be our teacher. Now, I believe that whatever your defining moment is, whether it's positive or negative, an a powerful encounter with God or a painful encounter with life, whatever the defining moment is, it's going to raise those two questions of life. Who's the boss and who is your teacher? Who's the boss and who is your teacher? I'm going to say it one more time. Who's the boss of your life and who's the teacher of your life? Tell me the answer to those two things. And I'll, I'll tell you real closely where you're going to be five years from now. Now today I want to deal with the first question, who's the boss? The number one question of life, when it gets right down to it, is who will be the boss? Me or God? Who's going to be the boss of my life? The number one battle of life is who's the boss? The number one deciding factor in every major decision you and I make is who's the boss you know why that's true because we have a will and our will so often wants to go contrary to god's will our will is so often in a battle with god and so the number one deciding factor in every major decision you make where you live where you go to church who you run around with how you conduct your life how you live your life the number one deciding factor comes down to who is the boss and that's a defining moment when God approaches a man or a woman and says, I'm calling you to be saved, I'm calling you to myself, when he approaches a teenager, a child, it doesn't matter, when he approaches you, it immediately becomes an issue of who's going to be the boss? Who's, who's going to lead and guide your life? Who's going to be the primary director and instructor of your life? Who's going to be the boss? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the final decision maker? You or God? You or this word? Who's going to be the boss? And doesn't it come down to that every single day that you live? Every time you walk out the door in a hundred different ways in any given day, you've got to make a decision. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Now let me share with you three undeniable, irrefutable facts of life about this question of who's the boss. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Undeniable, irrefutable fact of life is one of two people will be the boss of your life. You or Jesus Christ. Can't get away from it. One of two people are going to be the boss of your life. You or Jesus Christ. Major decision. And you know what Jesus said? We are not wired. So don't tell me, well, he's the boss and I'm the boss and I got several bosses. No, you don't. Jesus said we are not wired to have more than one person sitting on the throne of our heart and life. 
Listen to what Jesus said. No one, not anyone, doesn't matter who you are, how bright you are, or how talented you are, no one can serve two bosses, two masters, two lords at the same time. Matthew 6, 24. When he went to the disciples and he said to them, when they were still fishermen, follow me. They had a decision to make. Who's going to be the boss? This Galilean who has looked me in the eye and under something I've never felt before has told me to follow him, has commanded me. He did not ask me to go pray about it. He said, follow me. He said, follow me. It was in command form. Leave everything, put down the nets, walk away from the boats, leave everything, and follow me. He didn't say, I want you to go think about it. He didn't say, I want you to go fast and pray about it. He said, right now, follow me. And they had a decision to make. Here it is. We all got to make it. Who's the boss? One Bible scholar wrote the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, not just Savior, but Lord stands as the climax of the drama of salvation. Not just He's my Savior, but He's my Lord. And that's the, that's the climax of salvation. Because where the Lordship of Jesus, listen folks, is a settled issue in the Christian's life, all other issues are settled. When you say, you know what, He's not just my Savior, my ticket to heaven when I die. But when Jesus Christ saved me, he laid claim to me. He purchased me. And I'm no longer my own. He's the boss. Can everybody say that with me? He's the boss. Now look at your neighbor and say, you're not. See, he's the boss. And this means everything in life. When you settle this, when I got saved and when I got spirit-filled and it was in the middle of the Jesus movement and people every, all around us were getting saved. David Hatley was there during those days and guys that I run around with now, Sonny Knatzer who spoke for me a few Sundays ago, we were all youth elders together. We were brown-haired and had hair and you know, before it all went silver and we all got wrinkled and dried up. We, we, we were all there as youth elders together. And you know what we understood immediately? When God moved among us, when God touched us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we did not need some huge revelation of the Lordship of Jesus. It was something that just became known to us instantly on coming into contact with God. He wasn't just our Savior. He was boss man. He wasn't just Savior. He was Lord, He was Master, and we immediately yielded our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. And I would not be standing here preaching if that had not happened to me. But it was understood. If you get saved, He's Lord. If you get saved, He's your boss. If you get saved, He's your Lord. You don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. You don't say, come down here and make Jesus Lord of your life. You say, surrender to the one who is already Lord. You don't make him anything. He already is the Lord. We understood it. And so we gave our lives completely to him. And he touched us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this leads me to the second undeniable, irrefutable fact of life. Not only are you not wired to have any more than one Lord, it's either going to be you or him, but... Jesus never intended to be your Savior, but not your Lord. 
Now, that's the second irrefutable fact of life, the irrefutable fact of Christianity. Jesus never intended to be your Savior and not be the daily Lord of your life. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I'm telling you to do? See, when you and I get saved, he says, now you're mine, and I'm the boss and you're not. I'm God and you're not. And you need to just accept that as a fact because when you do, it settles so many issues. Because now he's my leader, he's my guide. I'm seeking his will, I'm seeking his wisdom, I'm seeking his call on me, I'm seeking his purpose for me. And it is never found in the Bible anywhere where a Christian later allowed him to be Lord. No, in the New Testament, here's what you find. Every single time somebody got saved, they immediately recognized him as Lord. When Jesus knocked Saul down to the ground, and he fell to the ground, and a bright light shone around him, listen to what he said. What do you want me to do, Lord? He said, I know the jig is up. I've been wrong. He's the Lord. He's Messiah. He's, he's the one I've been persecuting. And so now, not only has he shown me that he's real, but I know now who I answer to. He's the boss and I'm not. So, Lord, what do you want me to do now? And can I tell you, everybody, God's got a call on your life. And your life is no longer your own. He is not asking you to pray about it. He says, follow me and I will make you to become. I will make you to become. Simon Peter's first sermon on the day of Pentecost said this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both. Everybody say with me, both. To be both. Both what? Messiah and Lord. He has made him to be the Savior, Messiah, and the Lord, the boss. So that if you come to him, he's not only your Savior, he's both. He's your Savior and he's your Lord. Uh, you know, it may be a wake-up call to some of you, but let me just wake you up today on this cold Sunday morning. When you got saved, he had made him to you to be both Messiah and Lord so that now you answer to him and not yourself. You answer to him and not others. You answer to him and not the culture. You answer to him and him alone because it is him and him alone that you're going to meet on that great day and it's him and him alone who's going to give you your reward. It's not going to come from any man. It's going to come from the Lord and the Savior, from the boss and the Messiah. It's going to come from him. And when we just finally come to terms with that and say, I'm not my own, what do you want me to do now, Master? That means he controls what you say. That means he's Lord over where you go. That means he's Lord over who you run around with. That means he's Lord over how you live your life. That means he's the Lord. And guess what? He gave you an instruction book, and it's called the Holy Bible. He said, if you want to know how to come under my lordship, here it is. Here's my love note to you. 66 books long. There it is. People have given their lives so you can own this book. So here it is. Read about it and follow me, and I'm going to make you to become something incredible. See, what you would have done with your life isn't anything what he can do with your life. Where you would have gone and the goals you would have achieved and the things you would have wanted and the things you would have arrived at can't even compare 
with what God will do with your life if you will let Him be who He is. And that is the Lord and the Savior. He'll make you to become. He'll make you to become. Well, become what, Pastor Jeff? Become a mature, spirit-filled, world-influencing, powerful individual under the anointing of God for the purposes of God to affect your generation before you go home. The central message of the Bible, pure and simple, is that Jesus Christ is Lord, He is Master, He's the boss. Now why does this matter? Because most of what God has for you as a believer waits on the other side of total surrender. The vast majority of what God has for you, you will never experience until you get to the other side of total surrender. A car won't function without gasoline. Now listen carefully to the preacher today. I know this is true. You're not going to get down the street in a car without gasoline, and Christianity won't drive. It won't work. It won't function. It won't deliver the goods apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. It's just not going to work. So you can't go out of here and say, well, I tried Christianity. It didn't work. Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. See, if you, if you do what he told you to do, he'll do what he said he would do. And so when you say, he is Lord over my life, I surrender all, then God says, that's what I was waiting to hear. Whoosh, and he pours it out. Now, I'm holding up some keys here. You see these keys? Here's some keys. And I'm going I'm to just give you a little illustration here. Let, let's just pretend. Everybody see these keys? And those of you listening by radio, you can hear the keys. Now, pretend these are the keys to a mansion comprised of 10 rooms. Here's the keys. And the new owner, or let me back up a little bit. Each key opens up one of the rooms. Every key opens up one of the rooms. Now, pretend that one day you sell the house and the new owner comes up to you and says, okay, I've, I've owned the house now. I bought it uh, free and clear. So give me the keys. And you say, you know what? That's great. I'll give you the keys. Here they are. Here's eight of them. But if you don't mind, I'm going to be keeping two of them. I'm going to keep two of the keys. Here they are all but two. And here's why, because in the two rooms, the keys to which I want to keep, those rooms are very personal. Very private, very valuable to me. So if you don't mind, new owner, here's eight of them. I'm giving you most of the house. I'm turning most of it over to you. You are Lord, except those two rooms. I'm going to keep the keys to those two rooms. What would you, as the new owner, think? You'd say, dude, I don't know what planet you grew up in, but give me all the keys. Well, you know, you don't understand, new owner. I, I give you the whole house. You bought it. You can go anywhere you want. But those two rooms, I know you won't mind. They're down at the end of the hall. You won't care if you can't get in those two rooms. The new owner says, no, you don't get it. I own it all. I own every room. I own every closet. I own every square inch of this house. So give me the keys to both the rooms. Now, this is what we do with God. Because guess what? When you got saved, 
God bought you. He owns the whole house. And so we say, so here's the way lordship works. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he says, now give me all the keys. And we say, well, you know what, Lord, here's nine of the 10, but there's this one room. It's my finances, my finances. Lord, you understand very valuable to me very almost sacred to me i've always had control of my finances so if you don't mind take charge of all the rest of the house but don't take this one key don't don't require it of me or lord now i'm gonna meddle a little bit lord that one room that's my sexual lifestyle now that's personal to me that's valuable to me and lord you understand if i just want to keep that to myself you can have everything else but that one room or how about lord that room is my friendships my relationships the people i run with they're meaningful to me so lord don't mess with that room you can have everything else now here's what god says i own the house so give me every key lord you're scaring me when i got saved i thought i was getting a ticket to heaven but i didn't know you wanted to mess with every room in my soul don't go down that hallway don't go down that corridor don't try to walk into that room lord to tell you the truth it's dark it's got cobwebs light hasn't shown in that room for years lord you don't want to see it you don't want to see it And the Lord says, roll away the stone, give me the key, and let me in. But Lord, it stinketh. It stinketh. He says, you think I didn't know that when I bought the house? See, I already knew what I was getting with your house, and I knew it was in need of big-time renovation. But I've got a renovation crew. And I'm ready to release them into every room. But you're going to have to give me the key. And it may take God years to convince you to finally turn that over. But when you finally do, he says, thank you because you don't belong to yourself. I bought you with a high price. We, you used to sing to me, I surrender all. And we know that that's accurate because we should surrender all. But when you finally surrender all, every one of the keys to every room, even if there's pain in it, even if there is regret in it, even if there are memories that bring pain and agony and remorse to you, you still got to let him into the room with his renovation crew. He'll open up the shades. He'll clean out the cobwebs. He'll paint the walls. He'll put new carpet in. He'll do with you what we just did with the south end of the building until it's new. So lordship means surrender of all the rooms in your life, your finances, your sexual lifestyle, your relationships, your habits, where you go, who you go with, everything. He wants the key. That's lordship. Defining moments often raise this question and this issue. Who's the boss? Who has the keys? Who's going to surrender? And that's the last thing I want to cover today. The third undeniable, irrefutable fact is a yielded will is the trademark of a biblical Christian, a yielded will. If Christianity had a middle name, it would be yield. 
I can tell you today that I want to be a yielded vessel. When God says stop, I want to stop. When he says go, I want to go. When he says turn left, I want to turn left. But so often I find that there's a struggle between men and the will of God. You have your own little Gethsemane where you've got to say with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. I can tell you from experience on the other side of total surrender is joy like a fountain, peace like a river, love like the ocean, like the old song says. On the other side of total surrender, when you finally give up, God gives you incredible peace. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let me ask you today, is Jesus the boss of your life? When you're at the fork in the road, do you trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean to your own understanding? Do you acknowledge his lordship in every way, at every point of decision? Is he the Lord? Do you ask his counsel? Do you ask his advice? Do, do you refuse to move until God has revealed his will? Do you say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done with Jesus, the founder of our faith, taught us total surrender? Do you say, not my will, but yours be done? When Kathy and I, <clears throat> um, when I just graduated from college, my undergraduate degree, I just knew the whole world was going to be waiting for me. How many of you have ever felt that way? Here I come, a loaded missile. I'm going to change the world for God. And I graduated from college, and it was an incredible accomplishment for me anyway because I had not gone through high school. And so I graduated college, and a little uh, job opened up for me at radio station KRLD, and I was a news person. Now, you didn't know that about me, but you probably heard me reading news at some time and didn't know it was me. I was on KRLD, and I read the news stories. One night, we were at a circus. Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus and the Three Ring Circus. And we were watching the trapeze act. And here goes this one family. It was an Italian family. And they were doing these, this trap. And it was just one of three acts going on. So here we were. We were focused on the trapeze. And the boy, it was a dad, a mom, and a son. And the father was swinging back and forth, upside down, and the whole idea was the son was going to reach a certain point and let go, and he was going to grab his dad. And he missed, and his head hit into his dad's knee, and he fell to the net bleeding. Long story short, I ran up and called KRLD, and they put me live on the air, and I, and I gave the story. The next day, all the KRLD people came in and patted me on the back. My the st station manager and the program director came in and said, I'm giving you your own beat. You're going to be a KRLD reporter. You'll be on the air every day. I had graduated from University of North Texas in radio, TV, film. So here's my big chance. At the same moment, this little opportunity to pastor a church opened up in East Texas. East Texas, where the deer and the antelope really do play. And here I am, I'm looking at, if I had wanted a break, an opportunity to go into media, now I'm so glad I didn't because I'd have been a thorn in their side from the get-go. But 
There that door opened. And I remember I had this decision. Wow, I can have my own beat. I can be on the air every day on radio station KRLD, 1080 AM, every day. And there's this little group of people in East Texas calling me. What do I do? And you know what I had to decide? It was a defining moment. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? And so I went to the boss. I said, what do you want me to do? I know it's KRLD, but go ahead and I'm going to be able to tell him you told me. And he said, you go pastor. So I laid down a dream and went to pastor. And I saw that that's where the blessing was on my life. If I'd gone with KRLD, wouldn't have lasted because the media is way too liberal for this conservative head. But I didn't know it then. Who's the boss? Can you stand up? <clears throat> Who's the boss? Now, Father, I just thank you right now that Jesus has called us to lordship. And I thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. And I pray, Father that you will help every one of us to look up and sing with meaning. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and He is Lord. Can you just lift your hands and say, Lord, you're the boss. And if you struggle with this, would you just surrender all to Him right now today? Every decision, He's the boss. He's the boss. He's the boss. Sing it now. He is Lord. Go ahead and sing it and release whatever it is you're struggling in your will with. Thank you, Lord. He is risen from the dead. And He is Lord. He is Lord. Every knee will bow. If you surrender, give the Lord a hand of praise today, would you?